0: Welcome to today's Lotsa Matza Pizza Podcast. I'm Tony Scott. Today, I'm joined by Tom Ernie Saratori, the head coach at the Bemidji State Beavers Division I program. He's been there for 19 seasons. Prior to that, he was an assistant at Bemidji and St. Cloud State. Uh, Grew up in Coleray, Minnesota. He's going to have some very, very colorful stories for us. I hope you enjoy today's show.
1: What's going on, Tony?
0: Love is a burning thing, and it makes
1: a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire.
0: Well, good afternoon, Tom. How are you doing today? Doing good, Tony. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I wish we were uh, skating and playing hockey and living a normal life, but uh, we're not, and we're going to make the best of it.
1: No, exactly, and I think that's what we're all trying to do right now, and uh, we're settling in on our routine uh, every day right here, and it's, it's a little different routine. Um, but it, it actually is the routine right now. It's just a little different. It's just a little outside the box routine.
0: Had you done any zoom meetings before this whole thing or none at all?
1: No, I ha- I haven't done any zoom meetings before this. And since this, I can't, I can't count how many zoom meetings I've done, but, uh, um, it's kind of a daily occurrence right here. And, uh, I wish I'd have got stock in Zoom about a month ago. I think a lot of us probably wish we would have.
0: I do, too. I do, too. All right. Let's walk through you growing up. You had the nickname Ernie. Um, I can only imagine how you get the nickname Ernie. And explain how you got the name and explain how important nicknames were to people in Colerain.
1: Well, first off, exactly. Everybody on the range has a nickname. Everybody has a nickname. Probably every, you know, every place. But the range in particular, you have a nickname and it sticks with you. And my nickname was Ernie. And what happened when I was in fourth grade, I got glasses and there were those black glasses that Ernie Douglas and my three sons yep. um, had. So the first if day you're I had younger, a if that, you're
0: a younger audience member, Google Ernie Douglas and it, it'll all come
1: true.
0: 100%. And we had a neighbor, Craig Trevina. Craig
1: was I graduated in 1982. Craig might have been 1973 or 74. So Craig was eight or nine years older than me. So he was like a senior in high school and I was like in fourth grade and he looked at me when I got those glasses. And again, you got to remember back in those days, everything was the neighborhood and you played age was a non-factor. Everybody, we had a bunch of boys in our neighborhood. Hey, we, you know, we had the Casey's that were a block away. Um, you know, David Ray, John, there was three of them. We had four in our family. Um, the Trevenas, it didn't matter. You know what I mean? Um, you know what Carlson's Hanson's you know, I'm just going on and on, but we had a, we just had multiple groups of boys and we all played ball together. We just played a lot of, you know, whether it was ball, whether it was street hockey, whether it was hockey, whether it was basketball, whether it was football, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Again, you know what, you know what, if you could walk, you were playing and Craig Trevina looked at me and he said, you are Ernie and it stuck. I was Ernie in fourth grade and I'm Ernie today. Um, in 2020 and, uh, no, it it's hilarious, are, again, how you get a nickname and how it sticks. And Obviously, there's people who just think my, my, my name is Ernie and not Tom.
0: Is it one of those things where like, you might not even know the person's real first and last name? You only know them by their nickname?
1: No question. It's just a funny story, Tony. When I was in high school, um, I can't remember. I think we were playing two Harbors. It doesn't matter who we were playing, but I had two goals. And in the, in the Duluth paper, it said Tom Saratori had one goal and Ernie Saratori had another goal. You know it's <laughs> And I, I still remember that, you know, you, you remember a lot of weird things in your life, but that was one thing. I'm just laughing when I think about that. But they, yeah, they had Ernie Sertori scored one, Tom Sertori scored one to lead the Greenway over two Harbors or whatever, whoever it was. I can't, I think it might have been them, but anyway, so that's a pretty good story about... Exactly.
0: You I'm know, sure. I, I'm sure you got yeah. a bunch of them. I know. I've through multiple sources, not just one. Through multiple sources, I've been told that this Marble Mallards town ball baseball team looked more like a hockey team than a baseball team. Walk through some of those days of playing town ball back in Mount Marble.
1: Well, first off, I played for Bob Peters in college. Yeah, and um, and you got to remember back in, the, in back in the '80s, if you remember, who was America's team? And it's not it wasn't the Dallas Cowboys. Who was America's team?
0: Yankees. You, no. Marble Mallards? Atlanta Braves. They oh, Atlanta yeah. Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Right. Because yep. they were
1: on, I think it was WTBS. They were one of the And the, the, and the Cubs, too. And the Cubs. Them and the yeah. Cubs. Yep. The Cubs were on WGN. So the Cubs and the Braves, Ted Turner had the, the Braves, and, and the Cubbies were during the afternoon yep. out of WGN. Those were the first teams every day that were playing on TV. So those players on the Cubs and on the Braves really resonated with. Um, you know, with, with the people back in the, in the eighties. So yeah, sure. it was always America's team, the Atlanta Braves and, and coach Peters. I always say, he goes, he goes, Ernie, he goes, I can't believe you play for America's team, the marble mallards. And uh, we, we, he'd always joke about that. So uh, when I, when I, when I hear it with the marble mallards, it just kind of sinks in with me that we were America's team because coach always said that. So, so we guy, had a lot of fun. Some it of the guys, like, give me some of the guys well, around I'll, that. I'll team. go over the guys in a second. Tony, okay, all you right. got it first off the Marble Mallards baseball, people always think of the Iron Range as hockey, yeah, you know. And I'm telling you, we loved our baseball, um, just as much, if not even more. And the beauty of baseball, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, I'll use that, uh, those were two. I mean, I grew up in in probably the best era, you know. Maybe people in the 60s and 70s can say the same thing. I grew up basically in the 70s, but um, graduated in 82, but anyway. There was a couple of decades, I think, that were unbelievable, and we were very fortunate because all you did was play baseball, you played sports, and you hung around your neighborhood, and, and um, it, was just a, it was just a wonderful way of, of growing up. And back in those days, there was no summer hockey. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, so what we did, we played baseball, and yeah. we played a lot of baseball. And heck, I played, uh, you know, my, you got to remember my peer group, you know, Pat Geyer, Mike Genzel you know, Eric Gager, my brother, Joe, you know, it doesn't matter. We all played, we all played baseball and baseball was just as important to us than hockey. And there was times we're playing, we we played high school ball. Yep. And then in the summer we played Legion ball and, and uh, amateur ball at the same time. So we played a lot, a lot of, we played a lot of games and the Marble Mallards was our amateur team. And the Marble Mallards have a great history um, of baseball, you know, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And ongoing roger maris actually played for the mallards at one time no he way lived in, um yeah, he lived in he lived in calumet minnesota before he he moved might have moved to hibbing and then he might have moved to fargo i don't yep. know the sequence but anyway the marble mallards um you know what uh, john anderson the coach of the, the minnesota gophers you know john played for the marble mallards john coached me i was in eighth grade playing on the legion team john was my coach no uh, way my brother frank played for the mallards i'm um, tommy peluso mike antonovich um, Billy Miskovich, all the Miskoviches, the Palusos. I mean, we can just the, the Um, You know, then we had some great. We had some great baseball players before my time. Um, Bobby Dolph was a, was a, you know led the Big Ten in RBIs for the Minnesota Gophers. Played for the Mallards. Dave Bavakwa. Um, there was just so many players over the years. And I hate missing a player, but right. um, we had you know whether they were hockey players, most a lot of them were hockey players, but a lot of them weren't but we shared the same the same thing and it was a passion and a love for baseball and um we had we went to a lot of state tournaments um you know over the years um for the marble mallards and uh it was just a, again it was a fun era it was a great era to, to, to play to play baseball and we loved all sports and you know we weren't we weren't tied to one sport it was whatever was going on that particular season that was the sport of the that was the sport of the day. What was it, was it like? Never, oh gosh, I can't do this because I'm going to get hurt for hockey. You didn't even think about those <laughs> no.
0: things. So growing up, out- it
1: was a you know what? And again, you know, we did things because we we loved it. Our parents never pushed us. You know what? You know what? They never pushed you. You just you did what you had to do. And um, you know what? I was so fortunate. I had four brothers. We were seven years apart. Frank was seven years older than me. I was the youngest. Uh, I was the youngest. Uh, My brother, Joe was two years older than me. My brother, Tony was five years older than me. So we did so much as a family too. Um, I mean, we just again, whether again, whether it's competitive basketball, competitive baseball, whether it was home run derby with wiffle ball, whether it was hot box in the front yard, um, you know, it didn't matter whether it was kicking field goals. We had a, we had a tree in our backyard. That was like a, it was it was like a V, and that was our there was those were our goalposts. And what you had to do back in those days, you manufactured games. Yeah, and, you know we There was hey, we only had three channels. Right. We didn't get cable till the eighties. Think about right. that. I remember so we only had three channels, so you you, you hardly watch TV. There was no video games. There was no cell phones. There was nothing like that. So what would you do? You had to be creative. Yeah. And and we had and back in those days, everybody had four, five, six kids. So when everybody had all these kids, you, you, there was always a game. Again, there was always a game. And uh, great time, Tony. Uh,
0: so um, talk about the the, the whole the, the evolution of Greenway High School. So there's all these little towns. Are, are, are these kind of rival towns in some ways, or are you all kind of oh, one 100%. town? Right?
1: 100%. Like, right? Like, like, I grew up in Greenway, and Greenway's main rival is Grand Rapids. So,
0: Right? Yeah, but no, but I'm talking about the the, the towns that no, make up I'm Greenway, tell you right? I'm all gonna, right,
1: hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. <laughs> our main rival was Grand Rapids, right? as what, what everybody knows. But growing up, it wasn't Grand Rapids. I I grew up in Coleraine. That's where the high school is. Yep, Colerain's a big, really a big town. It's 1,300 people. We were the biggest town of all the towns that made up Greenway High School. Right in our school district, you had. Coleraine, which was like 1,300. bovie was next, like eight 800. Taconite was like 350. Marble, about 450. That's where Mike Gensel grew up in Marble. Um, Pat Geyer grew up in Taconite, 350. And um, uh, then you had Calumet was about 300. Mike Antonovich grew up in Calumet. Then you had Penn Gilly. Yeah. Penn Gilly was probably about 500. Mike Peluso played the national hockey. Mikey grew up in Penn Gilly. And then we had like we had some rural areas, Lawrence Lake, Cloverdale, um, La Prairie. So all these little communities that all had town team hockey. And in the summer, when we were young, they all had baseball teams. Yeah. So we grew up, you gotta remember, Tony, in the summers when we were like, you know, in, in elementary school and junior high, in the summers, we played against all the other teams within our school district and we became huge rivals. And And then same thing, like when we were squirts, we played within our, our, we called it town teams. All the towns had had teams and we skated outside. Then when we were peewees, we we, we had travel hockey like they have today, but we also played town team hockey at the same time. And a lot of our town team games were more competitive than some of the travel hockey. And what I was getting at when I said our main rival growing up was Grand Rapids, but a lot of times, like like for Coleraine, it was our biggest rival, I you know, believe it. which was three miles away and had three hundred and fifty people. But it was amazing the competition that we had amongst the towns. And then you got together in Peewee's and Banners and you be, and you became teammates. And then in high school, those were they, they, those were your teammates. You know what I mean? In baseball, yeah, football, yeah. hockey. So it was kind of so. It's no different than probably growing up in in the Twin Cities. Uh, you know, whether it's you're growing up in the suburbs or you're growing up in the city, there's sections of the of the suburbs are the cities that you know, yeah, yeah, you have your own little, you know, same thing. You, you, you have your area teams, no different, but it was just kind of, it was different. It was fun and it was exciting.
0: I could imagine. All right. So uh, let's fast forward to your college. You played a couple years uh, under Don Bros down at Mankato. Uh, he's a legendary coach, 580 wins. What do you remember about him as a coach?
1: Well, again, I, I take a look at all the coaches in those days, Don Bros. I played for Bob Peters and, you know, the the thing that those guys did is they they they, they both they taught and you, you know you know what they they basically was it was you know they taught you how to be disciplined you know you know what but they also let you be creative and um those were days when those were days when there was a lot of principles, you know right. um making sure certain areas certain areas of the rink don't turn the puck over. Um, you know, and uh making sure that you were disciplined. But again I think the biggest thing I remember is, is that you weren't you weren't as overcoached as, as probably kids are today um, there was no video
0: I was gonna say no film
1: no there was no video and um, you know your practices you know your practices obviously your practices were, were were you know they, they were fun but uh, you look back at the practices back in those days, it was probably, it was, it was a lot more of, of just shooting. There was, there, 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 was simulated scrimmages. The game probably wasn't broken down as much, but they let you evolve as a player. And I think a lot of the coaches in those days, they let you evolve as a player. And yeah. I think today, if you, if you talk about, talk to the, to the, to, to people today, you know, a lot of the older generation, these kids today are overcoached and they're probably stifled a little bit. And I think that was, you know, the benefit of us growing up in the era that we did is that, to a certain degree you know coaches let us play there was different there were structures there was some rules and there was some some discipline but other, if you were playing within the confines of those rules have at it and you know you got to remember we played you know in, in the 80s and 90s those were those were years that you were scoring 5 to 6 goals a game as a team yeah now you not now today very rarely you're going to see maybe six goals in a game combined and uh, I was watching something on the NHL network last night, and there, you know, there it was. It was 100 years of hockey, and how the decade of the 80s and halfway through the 90s there was like 10, 10, 100 point scorers a year, multiple 50 goal scores. And those, it was, and I, I, played the same era where there was just a lot of offense, and then eventually by the mid 90s things tried to started to trend the other way. Yeah, and um, so I think I think that's a byproduct of a lot of those coaches and the times, and that's why I think the game at that particular. You know, at that particular time, it, it was it was it was exciting. Heck, I remember in 1986 we won the national championship at Bemidji State. Mike Alexander had 92 points. He led our team. Then we oh. had it, uh, the little L- Scarbos. I might have it wrong a little bit, but I think one had like 72 points. One had
0: 65. Um,
1: the then we L- Scarbo had, we had brothers like six,
0: really tore things up, didn't they? Oh, they
1: tore it up. And I think we had six guys on that team over 40 points. And that was just the era is what I'm getting at. And now if you get 40 points in a a season right now, you're a Hobie Baker finalist or you're an All-American. It's just interesting to sit there and see the dynamics, how the dynamics have changed and how the game has changed.
0: So Bob Peters is your coach. I know from talking to people in the past that Bob had kind of these fabled rules. You talked about the structure a little bit. 24 rules. Name me one or two just for for our listeners today.
1: Well, one was, you know what? don't go cross ice unless you're hundred percent sure <laughs> don't go cross ice, you know, with a pass, unless you're hundred percent sure. Also we had, we, he called it the, the blue lines, the magic markers. So um, don't overhandle the puck, uh, uh, you know, around the magic markers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, no, and also um, don't retaliate, you know, Just don't retaliate. I mean, so what, you know, don't retaliate. We don't want you, you know, in the penalty box, you know, so, those were three right there. But we had these rules, and, and he, he, we talked about them all the time, and we knew those rules. And if we broke one of them, he'd just say, Hey, you know what? You broke one of the 24 rules right there. But to him, and he was right on, those 24 rules was basically the game of hockey. And it, it really was. It was just there, a lot of it was common sense stuff. Yeah. But if you, if you applied these common sense rules on Friday night and Saturday night, it was amazing how successful you would be.
0: I uh, you know? I played softball with a guy in the early '90s. He played at Bemidji State for Bob, and I don't even remember his name. It was it's so long ago, but he went through all the rules with me once, and I had never. Be- I thought I became the smartest guy in the in the world about hockey because of these well, rules this basic, guy taught they, me. They, it
1: was just basic basic rules, and, it, and you know they were all around. Um, you know it was obviously again. You know, with, from with puck. You know, with, you know what what to do with the pucker without you know without the puck. And a lot of it was predicated on being disciplined, being a disciplined hockey player, um, you know, and it's what, amazing, you know, it by, if you take care of the puck and you're a disciplined hockey player, you know, you're halfway home.
0: Do you see yourself as a coach today uh, barking out isms that Bob Peters had? Like, oh, I just 100%. did a Bob Peters there, right? Hey, I'll tell you, like, the game has changed, but it hasn't changed. There's, there's certain nuances of the game
1: that are never going to change. And you know what? Um Run block and tackle is never going to end. You know, I mean, you got to run block and tackle. I'm using a football analogy. Yeah, right there. I, I agree. But again, run blocking and tackling, and you know what? And, and sometimes, again, we can overcoach and we can, um, we can overthink. Um, but again, the bottom line is, it's amazing if you're disciplined, if you work hard, and you know, and and and, and you play the game the right way, you do things the right way. You're, again, I'm going to use the, the same term I used a few minutes ago, you're halfway home, you know, so just for success.
0: So you had, I know that Bob was there for 35 years. Um, was was that the beginning of the program? You must be a historian on this program. Well,
1: yes and no. Um, the program's interesting. I And I might have the I think, it's, I, think it, I think the first year of the program was 1947.
0: Okay, so there were and coaches before Bob.
1: Yeah, there was. But back in those days, in those first few years, they were just kind of like, whether they were faculty members, you know, a lot of them were just faculty
0: Like a gym that, teacher, right?
1: Yeah, it was like a faculty member that might've had the team for, and it was outdoors. So they might've played eight games or 10 games. You know what I mean? Right. So we had a program in 47 mm-hmm. and I, I might have it wrong a little bit, but it was like 19, I don't know, 52 or 53. We actually were playing inside. We had an indoor facility here in Bemidji. Half of it was a curling club. The other half was a hockey rink. Yep. And there was a big, there was a blizzard. And the, the, the roof on the hockey rink, the the roof on the, ho- the hockey rink caved in. And what they did is they never, they, they tore down the hockey rink. They never fixed it. So once they, once the, once, once the roof caved in. So did the program. So did the program. So the program discontinued until like 1959. And then in 1959, it was resurrected again outdoors. Yep. So then in 1959, they started playing hockey, and a lot of the hockey players were multi sport athletes. Tom Satterdallon played for Bemidji in the early 60s. Really? Outdoors. Yeah. Tom Satterdall. Who knew? Yeah. And um, then in 1966, Coach Peters, how about this one? Coach Peters is the head hockey coach at, at the North, Dakota. Of North Dakota. Yeah. He's at North Dakota, and he coached two years. He's in his mid to late 20s. I think he's like 26, 27 years old. They just went to the Frozen Four.
0: Yeah. I, when and I was took, doing the research, I was like, wait, he left North Dakota. Wonder he why.
1: left North Dakota and came to Bemidji to start the program because they were, they were building the rink at the John Glass Fieldhouse. Yep. And he came and he had a vision for, for Bemidji State hockey. And at that time, we had a brand we were getting a brand new rink. And at that time, the John Glass Fieldhouse, I'm not going to say it was a Taj Mahal. Coach Peters says the Taj Mahal at that time was the Duluth Arena. right? But it was still one of the best hockey, pro, hockey uh, arenas in the West. So we had a new rink coming. And he said that the president uh, of Bemidji State at that particular time, President Harry Bangsburg, wanted Bemidji State to be a hockey factory. And not a hockey factory like you think with, with with players, but he did want to produce. He he knew, he knew hockey was a big part of the fabric and culture of northern Minnesota. Yeah. He knew that we were so close to the Iron Range. Hockey was growing so much into the northwestern part of the state. But what he wanted to do is we were a teacher's college and he wanted to produce hockey coaches because uh, because hockey, again, was the is the main sport in our state. And he felt that he wanted to be he wanted to be the school to produce coaches. But he also wanted to produce U.S. national team players and U.S. Olympic players, because you got to remember back in the 60s, by and large, college hockey was still a Canadian game. Yeah. And the NHL was for sure. A, Murray Armstrong in Denver, quit.
0: for example, right? Oh, 100%. And
1: the, it was a 16 NHL at that particular time. So yeah. that's what he wanted. And Coach was really sold on the vision of Harry Banksburg. Well, then, so Coach starts the program and they start winning games right, you know, right after yep. winning games. And then eventually, we had guys on the 72 Olympic team. We had guys on the 76 Olympic team. Um, that 72 Olympic team won a silver medal yep. in, in, in Japan you know, and, um, Murray Williams, so we, and playing we had Jimmy McElmory on that team, Charlie Brown on that team, Yeah. you know, you know what? Uh, so it was, uh, no, it was, uh, anyway, that was those, those it, was, it was some interesting years right there is what I'm getting at. And, uh, that was kind of a little, how coach left, uh, coach left, uh, North Dakota to come to, to, some... to Bemidji. And then obviously, again, he built Bemidji into a small college power. And eventually in 1998, we said, it's time yeah, and we moved the program to Division One, and obviously, we're, that's where we are today.
0: So, when you came you were at uh, St. Cloud State. Uh, you, you had some high school coaches. You coached in Brainerd and, and at and at Henry Sibley, and then became an assistant coach at St. Cloud under Craig Dahl. What was that process of? What was the learning process like for you in those early years? It was a huge learning process. Going to going to college hockey was a
1: you know. Um, I mean, college hockey, again, it was, uh, it was an unbelievable learning experience and I dove right into the recruiting part of it. And because again, you know, we all know recruiting is your, it, it's your lifeline. Yeah. And, um, and again, it, it was interesting, but you get right into recruiting and you get immersed in that culture. And, mm-hmm. No. And back in those days, there was no internet. So you were on the phone nonstop. You were in sales. I mean, you're in sales. Yeah, You're constantly talking to recruits and you're constantly talking to coaches. And I got to, it got to the point where I knew every coach in the British Columbia Junior League, Alberta Junior League, the Saskatchewan Junior League, the USHL. Like you got to know the coaches and you were calling those coaches weekly.
0: Yeah, well, and I, just I, to
1: stay on top of things and what players are playing well. Like if you weren't on top of things and if you didn't have a relationship built with with coaches, you weren't going to get players. Now today, you hardly even have a relationship with the junior coaches because it, a lot of times the kids are already committed by the time they go to junior hockey. Right. Um or you do so, or you're on the internet so much looking at, at, at things or you can watch you can watch the you know you can, you can watch, watch the games being streamed. Yeah. Um it's just so different, but we you had to you had to really you had to be outgoing and you had to have relationships in those particular days.
0: So I had a story yesterday on, on this same exact interview I had Matt Cullen, and one of the, his highlights of his career was getting recruited by you at St. Cloud State. He's like, it was that, he made it the easiest decision in the world. I thought I was going to the greatest school in the world. He does such a great job of recruiting me and Mark Parrish. <laughs> He said it. It, was, it, it said, seemed and, like and, it was I, yesterday. And, and you know what's funny about that is I've been to Bemidji State with you for two weekends for our Bantam Elite League, and I wanted to play. For, you had me so convinced. I was basically lacing up for Bemidji the next year, but I forget I was 45 years old. You're such well, a good what, salesman. If, I, well, I don't know if Cully
1: remembers this one, um, but, no, I worked hard on Cully. Um, I worked hard on Cully and Pear and, uh, you know, and those guys, and we felt that those guys could take us to a different level. You got to remember those were those, year, those years when I was at St. Cloud. We just became part of the WCHA, and we were trying to we were trying to establish ourselves. We were trying to get name recognition. Um, we were the new team in the state of Minnesota. It wasn't easy, and we just felt again that we needed to get some marquee players. And once we got those marquee players, we could build around those players. And um, and it was you know and, and it was interesting, but we lost the year before Cully and Pear came in. The year before Cully and Perry came in, we had, I might have, I think we had seven, we lost seven forwards, three or four defensemen, and a goalie. I mean, we, we had 11 or 12 guys in our senior class. It was a pretty good senior class. Yeah. So we sold those guys. And that, i tell you, if you take a look at the senior class, the senior class that year in the state of Minnesota, you had Cully, you had Perry, you had Mike Anderson, you had Wyatt Smith. yeah, You had um, Eric Rasmussen, you had Reggie Berg. Um you this, had Brian these guys are Urick. all.
0: These guys were all playing in the oh,
1: World Juniors the next year. Oh, Brian Yurick um, went to Notre Dame. You know, we had Matt Bailey. You know, Ryan Frisch. I'm just. There was. A, and I'm missing some right here. But I mean, those guys. The state of that that that, that senior class in high school was just an outstanding, just an outstanding group. Anyway, um, that that class. Uh, Matt Bailey came to us. Um, you know, Ryan Frisch came to us. But Cully and Pear obviously. You know, we're, we're, we're two of the best players in the country and we were still living in a fishbowl at that time because we, all we did is we recruited the state of Minnesota, a little bit of Western Canada, but pretty much the USHL and, um, so we recruited those guys hard, and we felt we had a quality depth chart. We thought that those guys could really play a lot as freshmen. Well, we knew they would play a lot of fr- as freshmen, right? And we 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 hoped that would be enough to entice them. But then we worked hard establishing relationships with those guys and recruiting those guys. And the best one is I'll never forget is that I go to Craig, I go Craig, I go. It was it was uh, it was November and the signing period was coming up. Yep. And I said, you got go to go to, to Moorhead on Monday and watch the first day of practice. I want you to show up. I want you to show up and I want, I want Matt Cullen to look up in the stands and see, and, and see Craig Dahl in the stands. Cause I go, I guarantee, you know what, there's no, there's not going to be any, there's not going to be any other college coaches there, especially a college head coach. Yeah. So Craig. Craig went there, he went to the, you know, just sat there and there, you know what and, and I don't know if that resonated with Cully or not, but I, I thought that was a little outside the box thinking. And I still remember that. And, um, you know, when that was all done, Terry Collins was the, was the coach, yep. Matt's dad. And, uh, and I know, uh, I know Craig went over to supper, had supper with the Collins that night. You know what I mean? So yeah. you look back at some of those stories, but the little things that you felt you needed to do to get that particular player. And when you are a recruiter, When you were a recruiter, you had to think outside the box. It was just like being in sales. What's going to allow me to get that kid? i Um, I got a story for you here, Tony. There's another player a couple of years later. um, And that was a good story about Cully, but it was Matt Noga. mm -hmm. Matt Noga was playing for North Iowa. Matt's from Chicago, but we wanted Matt Noga. He's playing for the North Iowa Huskies. Well, P.K. O'Hanley was coaching um, North Iowa at that particular time. And P.K. now is the coach for the Waterloo Blackhawks. Well, they were on their way to Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay was in the USHL at that time and I was talking to PK on the phone and he goes, yeah, we're going to, we're going to head up to, we're going to head up to Thunder Bay to, uh, tomorrow. I think it was like the next day. And he goes, we're going to eat at such and such a place in Superior, Wisconsin. And cause PK was from S- Superior and I go, ding, ding. I go, I go, by the way, PK, what time, what time do you think you're going to be in Wisconsin? I oh, would we'll probably be there about six o'clock. Anyway, I didn't say anything to PK. You got in the car. I, drove, then, yeah. I got in the car the next day, drove to Wisconsin and, um, again, gotta remember no cell phones in those days, right? No cell phones. And, um, so I'm sitting there at that restaurant. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but here comes the North Iowa Huskies coming into that restaurant and PK sees me. And then there, I saw Matt, Nova. you know, so you did whatever you had to do to try to get you, you know, to, to, to get you over the edge, to get that particular player. But that's what you did back. And that's, that's what you did back in those days. In some
0: days. ways it was easier. In some ways it was harder, right? Oh yeah,
1: exactly. But you had, it was, it was, you had to, my my point is Tony, you had to establish relationships. You just, you, you you know what? We didn't have cell phones. You couldn't call them. uh, You know at all. You, 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 couldn't call them anytime you wanted. Um, back in those days, you only could call once a week. There was no FaceTime. There was no texting. Um, it just, yeah, you you know what you you did things the right way. It was all built on relationships and you you were recruiting guys for the next year. Um, so that you, you, so you were totally immersed in next year's re- the following years recruiting, you weren't recruiting kids as 10th graders and 11th graders for two and three years down the road. It was just to- a totally different element.
0: Yeah. It was like a and, one year window, right? Oh yeah.
1: I remember, I remember a player and we didn't get this player, but I remember too, um, I went to their homecoming. Um, they had homecoming and, uh, it was a homecoming assembly. And I went to the homecoming assembly and just to kind of, to, to to, to, you know, and when, when he got there, he saw me there. I, I wanted that to, to to stick with that that person. You know, what right. I mean, hopefully, we're going to get him eventually. Yeah. That, that player went to, he went to Colorado College. Okay. Um, but you know what? These, are, as I'm talking, I'm just, I'm looking back at those years at St. Cloud, and you, you, you asked me again, what did you learn? That's what I you learned. You, you, learned relationships. You learned how to recruit. You, 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 better have a good work ethic, and um, and that's, and you, you want to make sure that your, your, your team. Becomes better you know, when I left there, were they, were they better when I left there, when I got oh, there? Yeah. Absolutely. So those are a lot of the things that you learn right there. And that's called on the job training. And that obviously puts you in position for your next job. And, and when you become a head coach.
0: So here, let's move forward. So you didn't have to sell when you're at Brainerd or at Sibley, right? So that was probably one of the biggest things you learned how to be a good salesman. You get, to, How did you get back to Bemidji? Were you, were you promised the job when, when Bob retired? Because it well, looks it like com- on paper it, it looks like that, yeah, but I don't you know. know. I like to hear happening. the story so, there, right? Here's
1: what was going on. So I'm at St. I'm at Cloud. I do, I, 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 I'm the associate head coach at St. Cloud, and we're having, we're having team success. And, yes. And Coach Peters calls me and says, hey um, – we're going to go division one. Would you like to be my, um, my assistant coach? Let's get this thing going. He goes, and I've only got a couple of years left and the, the job was theoretically never promised to me, but he goes, I got a couple of years left. And he goes, I need somebody to take over and I want it to be a beaver. So, you know, it's so again, it was said just like that. I go, absolutely. I thought that was my, it was, it was my opportunity becoming a head coach. I wanted to go in there and, and, and try to, you know, get, you know, it obviously elevate that program to the next level. And I, I, I thought I was ready. I was ready for that challenge. Um, and just because of obviously the things that we were talking about earlier, and I was excited about that challenge and I was excited to work with coach Peters and go back to Bemidji and, and do that. And um, I, 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 I obviously accepted the position and, and that's where we're at today.
0: So you played a couple of years at Bemidji as well. Um, you look back, if you look back in your uh, crystal ball and see what the program was like and, and look forward to today and the, and the Sanford center and where the, the firm ground that you have the program on. Uh, could you imagine, do you ever imagine that, that it would be where it is today? Well, no, but, but,
1: but you don't ever think about that because you, you, I think we all do. We just, we live every day and we, and, you don't necessarily live in the past. Right. We're living in the present and the future. So we always have a vision. I think I think anybody in life has a vision of where they're at now and where they want to be, is what I'm getting at. And I don't think we ever look back to where we were at. Even though you look you look you look to where you were at at times, you sit there with fond memories. And right. I know I talked I talk to a lot of my players that played for us uh, up until 2010 and they love the John Glass Fieldhouse, the atmosphere of the John Glass Fieldhouse, the low ceiling, the electricity in that building. And as a player, it was outstanding. So everybody has their, you know, their fond memories of, of, of where they played. But um, no, I mean, I think where we're at today, you, you sit there and how we've evolved. And we never would have, we, we never would evolve. We never would evolve if we didn't have the alumni that we have. We have, I do, I believe we have the most outstanding alumni group in, 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 in the world. and We just have a bunch of great guys who who, who love the program and, you um, you know, are really proud of the program. And I think we've got, a, we've got an unbelievable community. I always say we're like the Green Bay Packers of college hockey. Right. And, you know, we're in a remote area. We've had a lot of success, you know, a lot of success at the small college level. And that's all predicated on Bob Peters. You know, Pop, Bob Peters, in my eyes, is like like Vince Lombardi. And, um, you know, but we're, we're community-owned. The people really have a, you know, they're, they're, there's, there's great buy-in for the community and, and Bemidji State hockey. We're we're isolated enough where you just can't get in your car and go to the Twin Cities anytime you want. No. Um, You know, in the winter, what do you have? You've got ice fishing, you've got snowmobiling, and you got Beaver hockey, and it it is it's a lot. You know, and then we got a beautiful we got a beautiful um, we got a beautiful community with with lakes around us, and um, it's it's a great resort town in the summer. So we have a lot we have a lot to sell, and um, but again, if it wasn't for our community. And the people in our community and our alumni, who knows if we would, would be where we are today, but um, I think again everything is everything revolves around them and also I think the vision of Bob Peters. And Bob Peters is, you know he's I mean, he's obviously the X factor there.
0: What's you, you talked about it, your alumni, you have this the Galen Nagel golf tournament. That's gotta be a big thing and really important to you and everybody in the program.
1: Well, the Galen Nagel golf tournament has evolved. Um it, it, it's revolved into a hockey reunion, and um, it, it's interesting. We have our hockey weekend, and in, in, during our hockey weekend, during the hockey season, yep. and if you take a look at the alumni that come back during the season, most of it is our older alumni. And then, if you take a look at the Gale and Eagle Golf Tournament in the summers, our younger alumni. Why? Because the, our younger alumni are coaching their kids; they're they're involved in youth hockey. Right. Um, they're trying to make their way around. You know. You know. They're they're trying to. Hey, they're, they're battling their job every day is what i'm getting at So right. they might not have the opportunity of making it during the winter but in the summer they know that that thing's coming it's the third friday in july they they have it marked on their calendar that's a that's reunion of sorts for for their peer group and they come back and it's a, it's an outstanding day of golf and you know memories and um and everything that it should be everything that you can um, think of that's what it is and it's a reunion of sorts we have over you know, probably 50 to 60 alumni back, but it, but it's also, you know, our, our fans within the community are golfing. And it's, you know, we usually have two groups. You know, we have a morning group and an afternoon group, and we probably have close to 160 golfers. And uh, and it's, uh, it's in memory of Galen Nagel, who graduated in 1984 as a goaltender. And uh, who, is no, again, a who, who is Galen? It's a reunion. Who what, is Galen?
0: What makes him so special?
1: Well, Galen, Galen's, Galen's, when you sit there and talk about the consummate student athlete is Galen Nagel. He's an unbelievable person who did things the right way. He played the game the right. He was an overachiever. He got better every year. He was actually, he's a, he's a special story because he didn't play. He didn't play consistently till his senior year. And that's the year Bemidji State went 31-0 and won the national championship undefeated. And him and Mark Liska would rotate every, every game. So Galen never really played till his senior year. And he embodies what a Beaver hockey player is. And um, he never once complained. He never once gripe. He got better every year. The players loved him. The coaching staff. He was a coach's dream. And um,
0: I think I read then, somewhere uh, where he never had a loss as a goaltender. No, he never had a loss. Day. He didn't
1: play till a senior year, and they were thirty-one and zero, and he didn't have a loss. And then eventually, um, you know, what
0: cancer? Um, you
1: know, Galen had cancer, and and uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, lymphoma, and he died in the mid '90s, and I think it was 96 or 97. I might have it wrong right there, but, and then obviously we were going to start a golf tournament. We went division one. We were going to start a golf tournament and we did it in, uh, in Galen's honor. And that was well, that's Bob cool. uh, Galen's teammate, Bob Fitzgerald and Bob, uh, Bob coached Bantam hockey with Galen and was one one of Galen's best friends. And uh, it was Fitz, who said, you know what, well this name this golf tournament after Galen and it was, it was good, fitting. It was just fitting. And that's, so now where we at it's just interesting you brought it up. I mean, you know about the Galen Nagel golf tournament. Yeah. You didn't know who Galen was, but you know about the golf tournament. Yeah. And that's why you name a golf tournament and you do something after somebody who's very special, who 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 is who's very special to the program. And that's yeah. what we did. And, uh, and our our players, it's kind of like a rite of passage when they graduate from Bemidji State you know, they can, they can sit there and you know what they say to themselves? Good. I can golf in the Nagel now, you know, it's just, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Very cool. All right. So you've had a lot of great players in, in 19 seasons. I want to just walk through a couple of them and Give me some words. And I'm like, when I was doing some research on your 0405 team, there's a kid named Matt Reed who spent five or six years, solid years in the NHL. What are your memories of Matt at, at BSU? And then obviously. At what, uh, year? After, what, what year was that? Uh, oh, oh 0809. Oh I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Oh oh 0809. Eight, sorry. sorry. Eight, four, I, four, five. I got 0405 in my brain, too, because I want to get no, to that that's team. that's cool. That's
1: cool, Tony. I just yeah. wanted to make sure, too. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. So your 08-09 team, uh, I mean, real special run. You make it to the Frozen Four. Um, you beat two really good teams in, in the regionals. A real special season in 8 09. Matt Reed was leading scorer on that team. Brad Hunt, who's still in the NHL, uh, was the leading scorer. I think he's your all-time leading scorer as a de- defenseman too, right? Yes, he is. So talk about those two guys.
1: Well, again, that 08-09 team, um, it was an interesting team. We, we started off the year. I'll never forget this. I haven't lost many games to my brother Frank. And um, but we went out to Air Force that 08. It was the fall of 08. It was in October. And they had a the Air Force had a heck of a team that year, too. Um, they lost to Vermont to, to go to the frozen four. There was a it, it was that it was just a and we were an inch away from having Bemidji State and Air Force in the frozen four, yeah. four in. And if you remember, they lost to Vermont. Vermont scored and I, I think it might have been double overtime. The puck went through the net and the game continued on. And then with, once the play stopped, they had to go to, they went to video review and they, and they saw that in. the goal was scored. Anyway, we went to Air Force that weekend. I mean, it was a weekend in October. Mm-hmm. It may have been the second weekend of the year. We didn't touch the puck and we got smoked. And I'll never forget. I remember, I remember having a meeting after Saturday night right in the locker room. And I was just going, what's, I go, where, where's this team going? Because, again, if there's any indication of what we saw this weekend, we're not going very far. And I haven't done this very often in my life, but everybody talked. And you could sense the frustration with the guys. Well, then the next weekend, I think we played St. Cloud back at home and we split with them. And then we started chipping away, chipping away. But we weren't playing great, but we were chipping away. We were getting better. And in the second half of the year, we, we were dialed in. And that team, if you're looking back at it, Matt Reed was a sophomore. Brad Hunt was a freshman. Yeah,
0: you're pretty and young, right? Your best players we were, were young, young.
1: Pretty, you know what? Again, we had like, that team. We had like five or six guys playing in the American Hockey League. A um, couple of NHLers. Three guys signed NHL contracts. bunch went um, we to met, Europe, too. Two or three guys played. We're, we're like Tyler Schofield, um, Matt Francis, um, Jamie McQueen. You know what? Um, those guys, Jamie's still playing in Germany. But anyway, we had some guys that you know, some high-end players, but you didn't realize how good those players were until three, four years later, you're going, holy moly, we were pretty good. That just wasn't, a, that wasn't just luck, you know what I mean? No. It wasn't luck. But that team, we, we, we started playing well the second half of the year, and you look back, our best players were Reader, um, you know, Brad Hunt. Brad was a freshman, Reader was a sophomore, so when you're relying on those guys as your best players, that's, you know, you, you, you better rely on your experience, you know, but those guys were they were they were good players, and obviously it shows today because just take a look at their NHL experience. Um, but those guys were good players, and Matt Reed, um, he was he was really good that that year, and uh, he had a great regional. I'll never forget it. He scored the goal to, to to get us into the national tournament at home, and one of the probably the craziest crowds ever at the John Glass Fieldhouse. But Matt did so many things matt could matt was good offensively he could really skate he was great on his edges he made plays he could shoot he was tough he'd play in traffic he'd finish his checks he but he was really conscientious defensively he was a great penalty killer you know he had no deficiencies to his game and that's why uh, you know matt reed was was the highest he was the number one ranked uh, free agent after his junior year and he stayed for his senior year and then after his senior year he was the number one ranked free agent in the country and um and he was a big puzzle piece for us, you know. And Brad Hunt, Brad got better and better that freshman year. Uh, you know what? You know what, he was he came in he was pretty green he was young, but we put him in a role right away. He was our power play defense. I was going to
0: say he was your power play guy. He just walked well, the we, blue we line,
1: right? A ton, but eventually he evolved. He played, but he was he was mentally tough. um, um He he really thrived on the minutes that we gave him and. You know what? And anyway, then we had Matt Dalton. He was a heck of a goaltender. And Matt left after that year too. He after after two years at the he signed early with the Boston Bruins. He's still playing today. He played for South Korea in the Olympics a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, But we had some key pieces, boy, to that team. We had some real key pieces to that team, and um, you know, there's a reason that we we played. We we beat Notre Dame five to one, and yeah. We beat Cornell four to one in that regional. And now, hey, those games weren't lucky. We played well, and we were the better teams. Uh, we Notre were, Dame we didn't were the better, score till games, we were the better team.
0: Notre Dame didn't score till really late in that game, so it was it was yeah, kind of an easy game happened, for you.
1: Well, it was interesting. Yeah, it was it was late. Um, I might I think we were up. Here's interesting that game, which stands out. I don't know if I, they, they might have scored. It was, I think it might have been three to one. Um, it might yeah. have three to one, but we got a penalty at the end of the second period. And I remember going to my assistant coach and I go, oh, gosh, we got to kill this sucker off because if we don't, if we the don't, momentum. it's three to two momentum. Yep. And what happened about 30, 40 seconds into the third period on that penalty kill, Matt Reed scored a shorthanded goal and put us up four to one. And right then I just had a great feeling. You know, obviously we're up four to one. And, and you know what, you go, this is, it's, it's kind of meant to be. And then we want that, we won that game five to one, Yep. but we, we actually got, we scored the first shift of the game. We scored a fluky goal. Chris McElvey uh, was coaching Bethel. Chris scored a, a goal behind the net. He was forward checking and the puck came loose. I, I don't know if their defenseman misplayed it or what, but Chris got the puck and I, he kind of funneled the puck to the slot and it kind of either went off a defenseman's skate or maybe the goaltender and we scored and it was like 50 seconds in, we were up one, nothing. So things started for us the right way. Things started for Notre Dame the wrong way. Right. And we just kind of, we, we built on that. And, uh, and no, nah, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a great win for our guys. And then we, you know, our momentum carried into that Cornell game the next night. And they um, They must they have been first. one of the
0: top rated teams in the country. Oh, though, Cornell right?
1: was good. And I think yeah. their goals against the average that year was like 1.4. They scored the first goal. And I remember, I remember telling my staff too, we got to score first because you, you can't play from behind against Cornell. Right. And they did score first and they were up one, nothing. I remember going, oh boy, because you knew that game, it was going to be the first team to three. Right. You, just, you knew that it was going to be the first team to three was going to win that game. And they went up one, nothing. Well, we answered back within a couple minutes, Ryan Adams scored a off a face off. He scored a goal from the point to make it one to one. And um, then we, uh, then we, we won that game four to one. And then we just kind of chipped away and chipped away and uh, played
0: very well. So. So moving Are you bringing on, me back down memory lane? I know. I, know, I know. Uh, So you had a big centerman named Andrew Murray. Walk through his uh, career at Bemidji State. He was a well, hell of a Andrew Murray was
1: a seventh-round draft pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was probably the, he was the first high-end player that we probably recruited at Bemidji State in, in, in the Division One era. Andrew graduated in 05. Again, like I said, he drafted by Columbus. Um, he was a big, strong centerman. Six-foot-two, 210-pound centerman. Could really play a power game but was also kind of a smoothie. He had good offensive instincts, um, played in traffic, was physical. Um, also, he had very good depth to his game. And, um, you know, we went Division One in 99, and that, and Andrew led us to that. Our first NCAA tournament was in 04-05. We lost to Denver in the NCAA tournament that year in overtime. And Denver went on to win the national championship. But Andrew, was, the, he, was the, he was the key puzzle piece for us. And so we had a good – that was a very good senior class that we had. Yeah, but we were led by Andrew, and uh, Andrew broke his collarbone the last weekend of the year against Air Force, and we never had Andrew in, the, in our league playoffs, and Andrew, we never had Andrew in the, in the national tournament. He could have been the difference if, if gets Denver if he'd been playing, having a number one centerman. But uh, and then he, he played a couple years for Syracuse in the minors, yep. and eventually he got his chance in Columbus. He got he was a call up for one game. He played so well, um, they kept him up the rest of the year. And his contract was done and they signed him to another two-year contract and he had a heck of a career in pro hockey he played about 250 260 games in the National Hockey League he went to Europe played in uh, um, he played it played in the Continental Hockey League and uh, and uh, no it was just uh, he uh, he had a great career and uh, he was uh, he, again, we—he uh, was our first—he was our first big-time player at the division at the Division One level.
0: And you've had plenty since, but here's one that you said you really kind of near and dear to. How you mentioned him a, a minute ago, Chris McKelvey from uh, New Brighton. Uh, he's now gone on to coach at, at, at Bethel, but he was a heck of a player too.
1: Well, Chris, Chris is one of those unsung heroes. Like you always have players. That, we always want to talk about, you know, Andrew Murray, you know, Matt Reed, Brad Hunt, because. There's familiarity with those guys, obviously on the national scale. Right. You know, they obviously they scored goals. They were in they were in the limelight. They were in the press, and they and, you know it's, and they should they, they deserve the recognition they get, but so many guys don't deserve the recognition that they deserve um, because again they do things they they do all the little things well. And that was Chris McAlvey. Chris McAlvey was always our checking line. He was always a centerman who I would put against the opposing team's top line. Chris was always our again. I needed a face-off. Chris would go out there. If the top line was out there of the opposing team, you know, what? if it was, you know, Oshie or Taze, you know what? There goes McKelvey. You know, um, if you had a – if there's a penalty, Chris McKelvey's going out to kill it. So he's got to win that faceoff. If he doesn't win the faceoff, he's going to have to try to get the – you know, to help clear the puck, whatever. So Chris McKelvey was one of those guys that played a lot of hard minutes for you. He never had – you know, he. if you take a look, he didn't have the offensive numbers – like you, you know, like a lot of guys had, but he was one of those guys that you knew that you relied so heavily on him, and he was such a big part of every 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 time you won a game, he was a big reason why you won because he did all those little things well, and whatever the coaches asked him to do, he did, and that's why Chris is a great coach today.
0: Sounds like the definition of a glue guy, right?
1: Big glue, big time glue guy. Tyler Larkey was his right wing. Um, Jamie Jamie McQueen was his left wing in 09. But him and Tyler Larkey in thousand nine, two thousand ten, we even had a better team. Yeah. And those those guys were those guys were again a year older. Matt Reed was a year older. You know, Brad Hunt was a year older. But you relied so it, it, you know what that was that team. You know, those teams in 08, 09, and 09, 10. If you look back at it, we had we had glue guys, we had offensive guys. If you want to sit there and you know what if you want to take a look at the breakdown of that team we had guys that we could put in different, we could, we could slot them differently and it was really an easy team to coach.
0: Right, right. Uh, because so, of the
1: personnel that you had, you know, because it, of the personnel that you had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to walk through a few of the year-past players that are now coaching. Like Todd Knott's down at Mankato, right?
1: Notter's down in Cato, doing yeah. a heck of a job down there at Mankato. And uh, he's a great assistant coach. I know Mike Hastings, you know, um, thinks very highly of him. I think very highly of him. He's been a big Hey, he's a big, big, big puzzle piece on the success of Minnesota State Mankato.
0: And then Wayne, uh, is it Lane Sederese at? at, uh... Lane
1: Sederese, he's the coach uh, at Bismarck in the North American Hockey League. That's pretty cool. Lane played goalie for me, and uh, Lane graduated in uh, in 2006. He uh, led us to the NCAA tournament in 2006. Uh, We lost to Wisconsin. Wisconsin won the national championship that year. We lost to Wisconsin and Green Bay in the regionals that year. And Lane went back home to Bismarck, and he's coaching him today.
0: And Ben Kinney as well?
1: Ben Kinney, two-time captain for us. Ben played on our Frozen Four team, played on that 9 10 team, um, and uh, again was on that same team through. You know what? That, that same uh, that same peer group of Reed and Brad Hunt and McElvey, that group, and Ben's at Air Force, um, helping my brother Frank right now.
0: He doesn't give you any insight info on, on Air Force now, does he? Well,
1: we don't need any insight on Air Force. We don't play him anymore, so <laughs> I. You know what? Frank helps us recruit. We help him. So they're out there they're they're another set of eyes for us have
0: joining. you ever have you and frank ever gone on a recruiting trip together like oh we gotta oh, yeah. watch this how, how does that how does that work out is it fun or is it Can you know, it get yeah, contentious we're, we're
1: we're basically we're basically recruiting two different types of players I and mean, we really are you guys i suppose you guy, are
0: academically for sure right and at, hey
1: they're going you can take americans um yeah you know, there's just a lot of different things so we're we're not recruiting too much against each other, to put it that way, Tony. So no, it's it's good because we 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 do our staffs really rely on each other. Oh, that's
0: pretty neat to hear. Uh, I want to We'll get to Frank in just a second, but I want to go through a couple other guys that are coaching at the high school level. Shea Walters from Hibbing is now at, at uh, Cloquet and yep. Wade uh, Chido. I can never pronounce Wayne Chido. it. Chido. Chido. Thank you. Uh, is, he's at Grand he, Rapids. He was at, at Bemidji and now he's at Grand yep. Rapids coaching. Right. He
1: coached Wait. my son and, and Chide's coached at Bemidji for many years and brought him to the state tournament a couple of years ago and coached yeah, he my did. son here at Bemidji. And now he. His uh, his his job and his, his wife's job brought him to Grand Rapids and he was Grand Rapids's coach this past year and they're gonna have a Jason nice team makes, next you year. Know, he's a Section Sevener now and Chase uh, Section Sevener at Cloquet and no, it's good to see those guys do well in the coaching. It's a good great to see your players have success in whatever they do and I uh, I think that's the biggest you know probably. The most gravi- uh, you know, gratifying part of being a coach is you see the success of your players when they move on, and it doesn't matter what they do as what? long as they're successful and they're good at what they do and they love what they do. What and some of them, some of them obviously choose coaching. A lot of them don't, but yeah. those guys chose chose to coach and. Yeah, to me, they're great mentors for
0: young people. What advice do you give these guys? They, I'm sure at some point they've asked you for some advice. What advice do you hand down to to guys like Shay and? Well, I don't know if guys? it's advice.
1: I, you know, I mean, these guys are pretty. They're 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 pretty bright guys, and um, if they call and they got some questions and some current concerns, it's all uh, it's all predicated on the questions and the concerns that they ask you. Yeah. And then you then that that that's the advice you give them. You know what? I I feel I've got a lot of years of experience. Um, You know, and hey, there's a lot of years that, you know, and hey, a lot of of years I've coached where I've made mistakes and I've made some some good calls and I've made some bad calls. And, you know, you you try to rely on your experience just like you would as a parent, just like you would in business as a school teacher, as a coach. It doesn't matter what you do. Once you have years of experience, there's certain things that have worked well and there's certain things that haven't worked well. And if they're asking you for advice, you you know what, you you give them the best advice you possibly can. Um, But you don't give them advice unless they ask
0: for it. You right. Know, okay. You know. uh, you, you, let's go uh, before we wrap show up. We've got a couple quick hitters here. You, you seem to recruit a lot of kids in the BCHL. Uh, what, what's the attraction to the BCHL kids versus the Minnesota kids or the American kids?
1: Well, and there's not. I mean, we'll re, we recruit a lot of Minnesota kids and a lot of American kids, too. And the bottom line is we go everywhere. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not saying you're good.
0: only, but it just seems like your roster always has, you, you know, know what? we good have more BC
1: kids right now. And I don't I can't tell you why, but I think once you have a certain amount of kids from a certain area, once you're recruiting another kid from that area, once they see that they want to be part of their familiarity is what I'm getting at. Right. You know, right. and I think that might be it. It's not it's not by design, Tony, but no. I think that's what inadvertently that's what happens, though.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, let's talk about your brother. Uh, you guys both literally are coaching very similar—not uh, not teams, player-wise, but you, you're, you're kind of in the same fight. You know what I mean? You're in the lower half of the Division One circles, fighting and scratching and clawing to get to that top, get yourself into an NCAA tournament. Is that by accident, or is that is that maybe kind of a serratory a kind of thing?
1: Well, it's just by accident. I just, you know, it's probably you know what I mean. We're. We all, hey, most of us are scratching and clawing and battling every year. There's, there's about eight or nine or ten schools that you know what that 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 are probably doing more, things on more of a consistent basis. But that's the beauty of hey, the beauty of Division One college hockey is Tony. It's cyclical, yeah. And it's you know what, it's one of the hey. Think about it. We have a school like Bemidji State, who's a Division Two school in their other sports, competing with Power Five schools. We've got Division Three schools like. You know at colorado college clarkson st lawrence rpi badly with bcs schools yeah you know um we've got we have non scholarship schools badly with bcs schools there's only 60 of us yep so, you know and the beauty is is that you know what you know some certain years you're, you know certain years you're 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 put in a better uh, predicament there's a better opportunity for it for you to have success um but we're lucky we we got to, we, frank and i have have two of 60 jobs and great jobs that, too yeah and there's years that day hey, there's years that it's a little tougher but the bottom line is you know we've got a business model you work hard you you you, you kind of know what you want you 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 you, you, you know what you want to do out there and uh we've we, got we do have a recruiting model that we we, 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 we we stand by we modify it a little bit but yep. you just try to stick to your guns and you know what kind of players you want to recruit and you know and you coach the way you coach and you know and, and hopefully you're going to have success and um I, I think overall you know frank's had a ton of success right there oh yeah and you know and i think we've had our share of success and you know and, and we think we, we, we both think, think we have special programs. It's not easy where we where we coach. And nobody's there's no utopia, Tony. No, nobody's got it easy. Hey, everybody thinks every, everybody thinks Bobby's got it easy. No, he's and got it's hard, harder than everybody. You know, Nothing that doesn't matter. Hey, Bobby's got it easy in certain ways, but there's there's certain things that are very difficult for him. We've all got you know we have we, we, all got our our, our 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 issues. Nothing nothing's easy. If it was easy, everybody could do it. So um, you know you can't worry about what you don't have. You can't right. worry about that stuff. You can't worry about what you don't have. You just worry about obviously doing the best job you possibly can. And all that's right. all you can do. Right, but, you can't, but you can't, but you can't, you can't rest on your laurels No. and you can't quit working. You can't quit working, man.
0: I was just going to ask you that question. How long do you think you're going to coach?
1: I got no expiration date, pal. Really? I think that, you know, I mean, I don't think you can, I, I don't think you should have an expiration date. I won't worry about that. I'll know when that time comes, Tony, but I don't have an expiration date as far as when that time's going to come. You sound like you've got plenty of energy
0: still left. Exactly. Hey,
1: I do believe that. They always say I'm 55 years old. I think that's the old 45. Okay. I'm with
0: you. Hey, I'm 52. That makes me 42. I like it.
1: Yeah. I'm in good shape. I've got good energy. Um, Hey, my my kids are grown. Um, No, I got no expiration date, and I think a lot of us don't, and we love what we do. You know, I always Coach Peters always say this: you play the game because you love the game, and you love the game because you played the game. Yeah, and I think it's Amen. the same. I use the same analogy coaching right now, and uh, um, I got no expiration date. And uh, people have asked me that, and uh, I'll know when it's time. And I, and uh, w- when it's time, it's time. But it's not time right now.
0: All right, um, there's two really good burger joints in Bemidji: the Corner Bar or Slims. Which is your which is your choice?
1: Um, yeah, that's a loaded question, and I, I you know I love them both. I love them both. Because you know what, there's nothing like a good burger. Have you ever hey, First off, have you ever had a bad burger?
0: Not many. No.
1: Not necessarily, or a bad, or a bad bar burger.
0: No, never a bad bar burger. No. But I've been to a couple ballparks, you know, like town ballparks where they burn it too bad. You know what I mean? You've had that, right? You know what? Maybe
1: yeah, yeah. Once in a while, you might get a, you know, you might get a burnt crusty uh, patty. But overall, yeah, I haven't had many bad bar burgers. So you know what? They're both. They're both high-end, top-notch places.
0: Such a politician, Ernie. You're such a politician. no. I got it.
1: Yeah, you don't want him. To, yeah, you're not gonna. Uh, you're, you're, it's a gotcha you're gonna question, right?
0: Well, gotcha. I was born question. on a
1: last. I was born on a weekend, but not last weekend, Tony. <laughs> All
0: right, last one. I know you're a big golfer. Uh, you get to pick your dream foursome. What's the dream foursome for you? Ooh, I got Gretzky for sure. Ooh, I like that one. Got to go, Gretzky.
1: Yep. Um, Babe Ruth, I think, would be outstanding. All right, I think Babe Ruth would be, you know, he'd Babe be Ruth fun, was, right? Oh, Babe he Ruth, he hit Gretzky, it a long ways. Yeah, Ruth Gretzky, and you know what? Joe Namath would be c- pretty cool too. Joe Namath, um, you know, Peyton Manning's funny as heck too. Like yeah. I'm watching this, you know, Peyton's place. Are you watching yeah, that? Watched, on IMF, I watched yeah. the
0: Chicago one the other night before the Bulls oh, thing. Yeah.
1: Like, like the guy's a character. The guy's a character. So you know, Peyton Manning would be hilarious to to, to golf with.
0: All right. Um, I like you know
1: the mod like the modern player like Manning or Brady would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, You know I think again the old guard Joe Namath was Joe Namath was Joe Namath. You know Babe Ruth is just legendary and Gretzky's Gretzky. You know so I'll stick with those guys right now. And you know if I had a little more time to think about it, I could probably you know pump out more names. But I think those guys right there would be. You know what, those those four or five guys would be fun. They'd be fun. We, You know what, I, I don't think we'd have a foursome. We'd have a
0: five. A little fivesome. We'd have a fivesome right there. we play Wolf, you know. Yeah, we would. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, this trip down uh, memory lane with you up to, to Colerain and Pingilly and all over the U.S. has been a blast, Ernie. I really, really appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your time and everything you've done for the growth of the game in Minnesota and college hockey.
1: Tony, this was outstanding, and you told me it was going to be long, and it didn't, I didn't even think it was that long, but this was the longest interview I've ever done it in my life. But you know what? It feels like I've only been sitting on my couch for about 50 to 20 minutes, man.
0: You, you're When you're the subject matter, it goes really fast, right? When it's your life story, it does go fast. I promise oh, you it yeah. would go fast, and I promised you I get it in an hour, and we're at 59.58 right now. So we're going to put a close on it. Thanks again for your time, Ernie. All right, pal. Thanks, Tony. Take care, eh? Take care. All right, all right. Tom Saratori from uh, from Greenway and the State head coach. Thanks to him and our sponsor, Lots of Mozza Pizza, on today's Lots of Mozza Pizza podcast.